Jack, Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with The Book Club from Hell, an advertising subcontractor for Komatsu Limited. This week's episode is on Marvin Heemeyer, or, as he was later named, Killdozer. Marvin had moved to Grand Lake in 1989, a small town in rural Colorado. Here, he clashed with several local families, particularly the Dochef family, as well as the local administration in the nearby town of Granby. Planning disputes, arguments over gambling legalisation, lawsuits and sewerage issues all led to a years-long simmering resentment, which boiled over on June the 4th, 2004, when Marvin revealed the MK tank. Now, what was the MK tank? Marvin had been armour-plating his Komatsu bulldozer in a shed on his property in Grand Lake for several months. On June 4, he welded himself inside with several guns and went to work. He first destroyed a concrete factory owned by Cody Dochev, an enemy of Marvin's, before setting off for Granby, where he destroyed the Granby Town Hall, the Liberty Savings Bank, and he tried to destroy a propane storage yard, among other things. The MK tank was felled when Marvin was destroying Gamble's store, which had a basement. The MK tank's weight collapsed the basement roof and the bulldozer was stuck. Marvin shot himself inside the tank. I should note that during the entire rampage, the police were unable to stop the bulldozer, trying to shoot it, jam things in the treads, even considering calling in an attack helicopter armed with Hellfire missiles, before deciding against this for reasons of potential collateral damage. Before his rampage, Marvin recorded about two and a half hours of him talking about his motivations for the coming MK tank assault, which we listened to for this episode. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and want to support us, we have a Patreon account, the link to which is in the show notes. Getting these episodes out each week is high effort, and we appreciate any support. I upload the notes I make for each episode, so if you want more information on the books or manifestos we've covered, there's that. Additionally, I've published a novel called Tower, which you can find on Amazon or on Apple Books. Links also in the show notes. So, if you want to know what a disgruntled man can do with expert welding skills, a bulldozer, and a divine visitation in his hot tub, then listen on. Enjoy. He, by some, is viewed as this American patriot and this person who's resisted government tyranny by driving a modified Komatsu bulldozer through a <laughs> bunch of houses in Granby, Colorado. Dude, okay, so just to that point, <laughs> what if I read out some of the comments from the from the YouTube, YouTube video comment section that I found? Okay, so <laughs> Marvin... Is it Haymeyer or Hemeyer? Marvin Hemeyer drove a reinforced, a steel and concrete reinforced bulldozer through <laughs> Bodunk, Colorado. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's it's spelt G R A N B Y, but I think it's pronounced Bodunk. <laughs> Bodunk, Colorado, and the the YouTube comment sent um, comment they section love says uh, at Durgan Music 2081, quote, the absolute definition of when tyranny becomes law, resistance becomes duty. <laughs> R.I.P. Marvin, you legend. The thing is, At Tarkus I just don't two- know if they actually <laughs> listened to the same audio that we did because it's just not about government tyranny. <laughs> it's mostly <laughs> him complaining about his neighbours. 
Oh, Jack. Jack. At Tarkus2455 says, if we had a man like him for every corrupt politician out there, the world would be a much much better place to live. <laughs> <laughs> I think civilization would literally end. <laughs> it would be a much more poorly adjusted place. <laughs> but this, this is what I mean. It's I don't know if it's retconning or if it's just... If it's actually not engaging with what Marvin Hemeyer said and instead engaging with the meme that has that has grown up around him, which is not actually so much about him as more what people wish he was about, because we'll talk about his motivations more because that's, that's one of the most interesting things about his justification for what was going to happen and what actually happened. The difference between those, because most of the time in, in this collection of tapes, he's complaining about his neighbors He's complaining about small town politics, and I don't mean politics so much in in the sense of politicians being out to screw Marvin Hemeyer. I mean more people in the town, at least from his perspective, didn't like him. It's not really about government tyranny. <laughs> it it really sounds like so, just kind of high school social dynamics that got out of hand. To the point where this guy spent like eighteen months of his life armor plating a bulldozer in one of his sheds and then driving it through a bunch of buildings in Granby, Colorado. Yeah, he was not of sound mind. Look, if you only no. listen, if you only listen to Marvin's recording, okay, I'm just going to caveat this with I don't really think this, but <laughs> hypothetically, <laughs> if you're an incredibly uh, what would you say? Not necessarily gullible, but just somebody who just takes if other people un- at their word. Believably generous. Not even unbelievably generous because he sounds unhinged <laughs> when if you, when he's offering his side of the story. If you only listen to that and then just put aside the fact that he, he he's constantly talking about being given a mission by God to armor plate his bulldozer. <laughs> I mean, if you take if you take predestination seriously, then maybe you could make the case that Kildozer was his destiny, and in some sense, yes, he was made by God to, to weld himself inside an armor-plated bulldozer and smash up a small administrative town in Colorado. But even then. And I've come into this episode very one-sided because I have not consumed. I've not checked anybody else's perspective. <laughs> Jack did the very sensible and reasonable thing of actually getting uh, some input from other input people from someone in the who's town. not Marvin Hemeyer. <laughs> I've only got Marvin's side of the story, and even I'm skeptical. <laughs> I also really like that. Okay, so to give people some idea of what this was, it's. About two hours, 45 minutes, almost three hours of audio recordings that he recorded on <laughs> April, recorded the bulk of it on April 13th, 2004, and then a little bit at the end on April 15th. There's also a bit right at the end of this recording when you can barely understand him, when it sounds like he's recording it himself like on the other a- side of the room with a ton of noise in the background. I don't know what was going on I there. I thought it sounded like he was in a... um. Like in a town meeting or something. It sounded like he was talking to someone else. Yeah, 
Or maybe he was sitting down with a lawyer or something because it sounded like somebody else was talking. Yeah. But anyway, the bulk of this is recorded in the evening on the 13th of April and it starts out kind of... It starts out mostly coherent. A lot of it is him talking about snowmobiling and his uh, his friends around the place. But as the night grows later, he gets more and more animated and starts just flat out screaming into the microphone about how <laughs> the town of Granby's trying to fuck him and Cody Dochef is a complete fucking asshole. I think he's and drinking like, throughout it. Yeah, well. I it think sounds he might, like he starts. Slurring. He might be. He sounds Slurring like he's getting more and more slurring. lubricated as the night yeah. goes on. Whereas at the beginning, he didn't sound completely unhinged. He just sounded at like at the beginning. Rambly, I was wondering like, whether it was going to be about a reasonable man being pushed. Way too <laughs> he lured far. you in. Yeah, like, but oh, by yeah, the by rich. the end of it, I thought, <laughs> no, this sounds consistent with the sort of man who will, for eighteen months of his life, hide a Komatsu bulldozer. Cover it in concrete and and metal armor plating. Weld himself inside it, and then try to destroy the town of Granby. Far out. At the end of it, I thought, okay, yep, this sounds. This is in keeping with this. This is in story. character. Yeah. yeah, this is completely in character. <laughs> he was able to. What do you call it? Mask masking. Yeah, and somebody, you know, like hides their their uh neurodivergent <laughs> tendencies or whatever. The narrative arc of this was, was pretty good. Like, it started out first hour is pretty boring. And then he and, just... And kind of tame, but after about an hour, he just goes off the deep end. It's, it's especially when he starts talking about his mission from God. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a hint. I was thinking when I... Uh, when I was listening to it, like, what lesson can I extract out of this? <laughs> I thought, okay, uh, if anybody I know starts speaking about having a mission from God, I gotta like start reconsidering <laughs> connection with that person. Well, I you mean, a mission, a mission from, from God? God is one thing. It's more, it's describing something as a mission from God when it's clearly a bad idea. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not like so going and helping orphans or something. Yeah, like, yeah. My you're not working to like or something. It's the, you're, feed the homeless. you're building what he calls the MK tank. <laughs> my mission Wasn't from the, God is the to... Marv Komatsu tank was what he called his bulldozer. <laughs> my mission from God is to destroy the town of Granby. When your mission from God is to build the MK tank and destroy a town, then maybe you should reconsider if it's truly a mission from God. So. In terms of the structure of this episode, we thought we would we'd walk through basically what happened over the, the, the years preceding the Killdozer Rampage and then what happened on the day of the Rampage, combining both the, the primary source of Martin Hemeyer's tapes that he, he recorded shortly before the Rampage, as well as information from people who aren't, aren't Killdozer. Because... <laughs> his, his his side of the story does leave out some details which really really change how he comes across. Oh, these might be some big reveals for Levi. Big reveals for you, yeah. Because Okay, so you need to be highly generous to listen to the whole almost 3 hours of Marvin Hemeyer increasingly animatedly 
talking into a microphone about what happened. If you're immensely generous, I guess you can view it as some sort of martyrdom narrative of a a reasonable man pushed too far. However, when you hear when you hear about Marvin's behaviour from a perspective that is not Marvin Hemeyer, then he he comes across as a lot more unreasonable. So should we? <laughs> yeah, nice, <laughs> nice, uh, the, uh, bit of foreshadowing there. Should we give some overview? Like, should, should we get into his life, his life story? Get into his life, maybe, and how he I'm, became. I'm sure I'll mention what he did at, <laughs> yeah. in the introduction to this episode. But to keep people's interest, we should we should just mention what he did because it was only um just trying to find when in 2004 i think it was in june 2004 when he he did he did the killdozer let's have a look. june 4 2004 was was the date of killdozer i should add to he didn't call it killdozer that was a name given to it afterwards which is just too good a name not to use so whoever came up with the killdozer name an excellent name yeah yeah genius. that's brilliant so basically what he did marvin hemeyer was not originally from Grand Lake, Colorado. I think he was from North Dakota. No, South Dakota. Born in South Dakota. So he was from South Dakota. He moved to to Grand Lake, Colorado when he was he was middle-aged. And Grand Lake, Colorado is a really small town and the the administrative center administering Grand Lake is called Granby, which is it's a few kilometers away. He got into a number of particularly planning, planning disputes and, and disputes over water and sewerage with the administration in Granby. And over the course of like 12 years, I guess, no, here's the lesson you can draw from this. Don't stew on things and ruminate for over a decade because your decision making is going to be severely impaired if you, if you don't get some sort of outside view onto your thought processes you can you can rabbit hole yourself and make some really bad decisions he got into these planning disputes stewed on them and eventually got so wound up that he spent about 18 months assembling or modifying a komatsu bulldozer that he owned so he he covered it in alternating metal plates and concrete to to basically simulate armor plating. Then one day he he drove out and smashed up a concrete plant near his property and then went into the town of Granby and destroyed the the local administrative building, a bunch of buildings on the main street, smashed up a ton of stuff until his his killdozer, his modified bulldozer, drove over a a cellar in a building that he was smashing up got stuck and then he shot himself inside. He'd welded himself inside the the cab of the bulldozer as well. So he was he knew that he wasn't going to get out alive. That's what he did and now we can work up to how he got to that point. Uh <laughs> the killdozer rampage. So the, the Wikipedia page and then some other write-ups on he Meyer provide a much clearer view in terms of chronology of what happened because his tapes are all over the place. It's really, you need to really, really pay attention to work out the order of events from from his account of them. 
Yeah, he just keep, he's just stumbling all over the place. Keeps on going back and forth. Yeah, he's certainly very passionate in his account <laughs> of events. He's got that going for him, but it it's at times not completely coherent. It's also really hard getting any sort of quotes from him because he'll just smash together three different thoughts into the one sentence and keep jumping between them, getting more and more and more agitated as he does so until he'll just stop recording and then come back. I wonder if uh, if if the Killdozer incident uh, helped or, or damaged the Komatsu 355A sales. Because <laughs> <laughs> it looks like Look, a really a very good powerful do- and reliable machine. Yeah. <laughs> you can drive it through several buildings and it'll keep going. <laughs> so it, it only Certainly stopped working because apparently he drove into it. I think it was a hardware store whose owner he had some dispute with over the past decade. He drove into the store and that the owner had a basement in the store and the, the bulldozer partially fell into the basement and broke some of the machinery in it. And that was what that was what felled the MK tank. Yeah, they got. That's just kind of dumb luck, isn't it? <laughs> dumb luck. So the police he would have kept on op- going until it ran out of fuel. <laughs> yeah, apparently he had enough food and water in there for about a week. He had a bunch of guns. He did fire off a few shots while he was he was moving around. He tried to shoot. I think, I think there was a propane storage plant next to some electrical <laughs> transformers, and he was trying to shoot the transformers. To, to start a fire to blow up all the propane. Oh, man, I'm glad he didn't which, hit that, hey. Yeah, which meant he, I think he hit the Transformers once or twice but didn't start a fire, and the, a lot of the town needed to be evacuated for that reason. It's also the police opened fire on him and shot the, the MK tank a lot, but he did a good job with the armour plating. He was just invulnerable to bullets. Yeah. <laughs> One, police officers were climbing on top of it because it's it's slow moving because a bulldozer is not particularly fast at the best of times, let alone when it's weighed down by homemade armour plating. <laughs> they dropped a flashbang grenade down an exhaust pipe, but it didn't have any sort of appreciable effect. <laughs> apparently, apparently the town administration denied this for a long time, but it has come to light that, yes, this in fact did happen. They were considering getting a military helicopter armed with missiles to try to blow up Killdozer, but decided that the possible collateral damage of missing and blowing up a bunch of buildings was too high, so they didn't do that. They were considering getting in one of those Javelin shoulder-mounted missiles Mm. to Mm. try to blow it up. It was a real problem. It was dumb luck that he just (laughs) ran over a... A basement and it, it collapsed and and killed the killdozer. It's a very effective machine. Back to what you were saying about did this help the the sales of the Komatsu, whatever this model was. It's a, it's a good advertisement for it. A good advertisement for how reliable it is. <laughs> and how long did the rampage go on for? Like a few hours, I assume. A few hours, because this thing goes like eight k's an hour. And he needed and the whole to... time they're just like, how do we deal with this <laughs> in slow motion? <laughs> what are we going to do? So, Did you shoot it? <laughs> yeah, we shot it. <laughs> we'll go. We'll talk about who Cody Dochev was, or still is. He's still alive in a moment. But his property was, I think, the first property targeted by Marvin. 
and Cody tried to duel him in his own. Uh, he was either a, a bulldozer or you know, some sort of heavy machinery. When he saw Marvin start smashing <laughs> up his concrete plant, Cody got into his own his own machine and tried to duel him. But could you imagine if Cody actually had his own killdozer? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> What was that show? Um, Robot Wars. Oh, or Robot something? Wars. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that. Except with enormous bulldozers. <laughs> <laughs> they had the best names as well. You could have Killdozer Junior in Robot Wars. Oh, that'd be so good. So, yeah, he. So, why don't we talk a little bit about Marvin's life? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of his life before Killdozer. So he was born in 1951. He he was a welder and owned a series of of car muffler repair shops. And he he'd owned these around in various places around America and at least in his telling was a very very successful businessman. Well, he had a hot tub. He had a hot the hot isn't tub that, isn't that the mark of success, Jack? The hot tub will become important <laughs> because that's where he had his revelation about <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, if you've got a hot tub, you must be unbelievably successful. <laughs> yeah. Hot tub had some snowmobiles. He loved snowmobiling. He talked about it a bunch in these tapes. Snowmobiles and hot tubs. Yeah. Yep. He, uh, he grew up on a Colorado. dairy farm in South Dakota, and he, he moved to Grand Lake, Colorado in 1989. And, okay, yeah, Grand Lake is 26 kilometers away from Granby. and. Man, he must have been driving Killdozer for ages because Killdozer was slow, like apparently about 8Ks an hour. And he drove it, yeah, 26 kilometers from, from Grand Lake to Granby, having oh first destroyed the property of Cody Dochev, who was, I think, the property to the south of, of Marvin's. There must have been a lot of time where he was just driving. And not God, smashing anything, just driving Killdozer down would, the road. Was in, and didn't he? Did he weld himself in? Yeah, he welded himself inside it. So he he got inside and then welded himself shut. Yeah, <laughs> that is completely insane. So he's just sitting there for probably two hours or more between after destroying a concrete factory. Is is on his way to, to destroying Grandy. a concrete factory and dueling the and owner dueling of the con- concrete factory who is driving his, his own bulldozer. <laughs> 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 that is so crazy. <laughs> just, and he's just sitting in his hot little concrete box. The entire time thinking, yep, this was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, God wanted me to I'm, do this. I'm glad that God chose me to do this. I'm going to teach these people a lesson. Yeah, well, when we get to, when we get to probably the, the second half of these tapes is when, when this will get even more fun because the second half of these tapes is just where he gets completely unhinged. So for the first hour he's talking about, Basically, his backstory for ending up in Granby. Yeah, yeah. Long story short. Yeah. It's actually not that long a story. It's just he takes forever to, to, to say it. <laughs> There's not that much information. There's not that he much just delivers it. it in a very user-unfriendly way. <laughs> he basically buys a property uh, and at the auction. So he gets, a, he gets authorization from one of his business associates who he's acting on behalf of. To go up to sixty thousand or sixty six thousand, something like that. Um, and so this is ninety one. So in today's dollars, that'd probably be like two or three billion dollars. 
<laughs> got it in <laughs> yeah so anyways he, he's uh he he can go up to say sixty thousand dollars and he gets into a bit off with this other guy cody cody is a local of the mm-hmm. area and cody can only go up to fifty thousand dollars yep yep and marvin outbids cody and gets this this little property outside of Granby, which is just uh, I think at this time um, it was undeveloped, but it had a particular zoning on it, which was oh, a very so passive zoning. What happened? Is, I looked into this a bit more. So I think so. There are a few things. So when Marvin bought the property, the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, was liquidating a bunch of properties. That because back it, in the yeah that it owned because it had I, don't, I think run into funding problems or something like that. I think the way it ended up there was like the savings and loans crisis in the late eighties, early nineties, and like the FDIC ended up like getting a hold of a bunch of properties mm. um, that had gone into basically like liquidation, like the owners had gone into liquidation or something like that. Yeah, something to that effect. And Anyways, this property, so they had a bunch of properties. Marvin, uh, this must have slipped his mind. So. The property that he bought, the Dochev family, so it was Cody Dochev, this guy who was trying to trying to buy this property. Well, like the, Cody the, Douchebag. The right? Dochev family had a concrete plant on the property that Marvin bought. So they'd owned this lot previously. Like during the 80s or something. Yeah, I think at some point. And so yeah. somehow they lost the property and Cody was trying to buy it back. Yeah, yeah. Right. He was, he was trying to buy it back. And then Hemeyer says that after... So Hemeyer was, was buying this property for a friend of his or a business associate, and he was going to pay $66,000 for it. He bought it for a bit over $50,000. And he says after the auction, Cody came up to him and started shouting at him. Nobody Cussing else, him out. Nobody else remembers this happening, but it, Marvin says it happened. And then Marvin... Basically told him, well, I was going to pay $66,000 for it. So if you pay me $66,000, I'll give it to you. And Cody must have said no because it didn't change hands. And then Marvin's friend, and it's, <laughs> sorry, so Marvin's friend ended up kind of ghosting him with the property and basically stopped wanting to have the property. So Marvin had There's some issue now. with uh, the EPA or something. There's like an environmental issue. Yeah, something about... And so Marvin said who- it had some oil stains on it. Given the discrepancies between Marvin's accounts of things and what everyone else says, I'm not sure what actually the problem was. That <laughs> just oil turns stains, out oil stains that is probably not something massive. the EPA is going to get all that worried about. It was probably it something more was than a-, a few oil stains. I bet you there was some like massive environmental hazard. <laughs> 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 I, the, the, I don't know. It was just full of plutonium. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, just an oil stain. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, his business associate backed out. So Marvin, I, I mean, he's showing from the very beginning he doesn't have very good judgment because as, as if you're going to front the money, on behalf of somebody else without them giving you the money first. <laughs> yeah, or without signing anything. <laughs> or signing a contract or having gar- having a guarantor or something. So, anyways, 
But Marvin made made lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> In his own words. <laughs> yeah, and actually just going back to his business associate, for maybe five minutes at the start of this story, Marvin is is kind of going yes, no, maybe so about whether this business associate was a friend or not. And he's, <laughs> he's ad- so adducing evidence in favour of him being a friend. He's like, oh, we snowmobiled a lot together. But mm. then against, mm. he says he kind of doesn't like the guy. <laughs> it's from, from really early on, you begin getting a feeling for what Marvin Heemeyer is like. <laughs> we went snowmobiling a lot, but I don't really like him. <laughs> Like, yeah, I do this podcast a lot with Jack, but I don't really like him. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's my friend or not. <laughs> and then he um, then he spends ages complaining about some, was it Doug Brandsetter or something? Someone to whom he might at least his muffler shop in Boulder to and talking about this guy's drug problems and alcohol problems and how he did a really bad job running his business. Talking shit. So, okay, this... It could be just a run of bad luck, but it does seem fairly consistently Marvin Heemeyer entrusted money or a business or something like that to other people, and very consistently they did a terrible job running the business or a terrible job investing the money or didn't get the money back to him or stopped communicating with him. It does seem that basically everyone in the world except Marvin is extremely dishonest or terrible with money. And yeah, just when, when someone has enough bad luck, I start wondering whether it's, it's actually bad luck or if they're doing something wrong. Yeah, you've got to ask, what's the common denominator mm. across these? What's the invariant across these, these situations? And it uh, seems like the geography and the other people can vary quite a bit and things still yeah. go wrong <laughs> in Marvin's life. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, oh, that's, and Marvin then, he claims, so he, he now, he bought this property that Cody Dochev wanted. He claims that Cody Dochev tried to kill himself after he didn't get the property, although I can't find anywhere else mention of this. He also claims that mm. the rest, the town of Granby, people there were really, pleased that Cody Dochev had been knocked out of commission and they were somewhat they they were somewhat thankful that Marvin had done this because they didn't like that Cody was such a mess. He then, however, later in the more incoherent part of of these tapes, rambles about how the town turned on Marvin for for buying this property at a really, really low price from the FDIC and hurting Cody in the process and hurting the Dochev family in the process. I just, I don't believe Marvin when he says that Cody tried to kill himself having not gotten this property and then went completely off the deep end and off the rails and his, his life fell into shambles. Because he, he later insinuates that that just didn't happen, that Cody was, how do I put it? He seems to think at the same time Cody is this complete train wreck and has been ever since he didn't get the property, but also is this very, very capable, conniving man who is who's rallying support in Granby against Marvin Heemeyer and doing all of this political and administrative jujitsu uh, jujitsu to 
to prevent Marvin from getting money or from being able to rezone his property or being able to get the the zoning permissions to build a concrete plant near Marvin's property which will tank the value of Marvin's property it really it really sounds like the thoughts of a man who without any sort of external ballast or the the perspective that an outside opinion would provide has stewed on on a sense of being hard done by for a decade mm. and then exploded mm. That's certainly a theme across all of the rampages and, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. mass murderers that we've investigated, quote-unquote quite investigated. There seems to be a lot of stewing by oneself. Yeah, I guess that's one <laughs> of the, the takeaways we can, we can get from the Killdozer story. Or so a, a meta-lesson taken from the from our meta analysis of of rampage manifestos one of the lessons is that if you're planning on doing something that might be seen by others as a bit extreme maybe consult at least one other person and <laughs> that might give you an idea of whether what you're planning on doing is maybe going a bit too far or might be an overreaction or not <laughs> Get some external advice. Yeah, an easy one would be, okay, firstly, if you're a potential um, rampager and you're a fan of the show, like definitely like send us the manuscript so we can read it out. <laughs> <laughs> and then secondly, maybe send the manuscript to a psychologist. Yeah, and ask and them what the they think. Psychologist? Pretty good at giving advice. <laughs> you know, could you imagine if Elliot Roger or what was that guy's name who um the the cop killer in LA? Uh um Chris Dorner. Yeah, Dorner. You just think if they had just taken what they'd written, or in um Marvin's case, what he'd recorded, and just set that to one other person, <laughs> especially if that person was like a professional. Yeah, just talk to at least one other person about they would have been it before like, going on a killdozer mm, rampage. Mm. Hey, Marvin, you want to come over for a beer? Let's talk this one out, mate. Can, can I have a look at your killdozer? Mm. <laughs> You've done a great job here, Marvin. Maybe uh, maybe let's decommission the killdozer. Hey, oh, I just found a, I found a really good quote about. I guess this it's um, Marvin's justification as to why the person he was buying this FDIC property on behalf of then didn't want to to buy the property from Marvin. So for context, this man was from Boulder, Colorado, and I quote, Boulder is full of the what you want to call it, eco-Nazi types. You know, they, they, mm. they think everything's, they're going to save the world. And that's why this man didn't buy the property from Marvin because it the EPA said that it had some oil stains. And given that this man was from Boulder, it meant that he was an eco-Nazi, which meant that oil stains would be unacceptable to him. Would be would he knew that they'd go nuts. Yeah. They were yeah. all a bunch of pentilinklers and would have came in and violated <laughs> his property rights, pulled some eminent domain on it, and then prevented him from building his boat sheds. Or whatever the hell. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, in ninety one, he gets uh, gets hold of this property, 
And 91 or 92, I found 91 conflicting or 92, accounts yeah. of when it was. But by 93, he's building, were they uh, boat sheds? Yeah, so he wanted, he was thinking of doing a few different things with this property. And this is where we get probably the first, oh no, the second thing that he sees as, as being what, what ruined his life. So the first thing, Cody Dochev just flipping out over Marvin buying this property. The second thing that, that contributed to Marvin's life being ruined was that so the property he'd acquired had an inadequate sewage solution. So the, the sewage solution that the property had when Marvin bought it was a buried concrete truck barrel left there by the previous owners that like, he just filled up with piss and shit. That was <laughs> very reasonable. That's, that's what he had. He had when he when he bought the property. Not even a toilet. It, Marvel would actually like trot over to the barrel and squat. Yeah. And so, <laughs> understandably, he he wanted to be connected to the the sewage system and to the the water supply. So, in Marvin's telling, the water sanitation district. Superintendent in Granby, Bud Wilson, contacted Marvin in 1992 and told Marvin that he wanted Marvin's new property to be annexed into the water and sanitation district. And Marvin agreed and said, okay, what do I have to do? Other accounts say that Marvin contacted the district and said, I would like to be connected. Either way, it's not an unreasonable request to to want to have access to (laughs) the sewerage system and to to running water. Yeah. What then happened is is a bit more murky. So he insinuates at first and then openly says that the town of Granby had people in it, many of whom had their properties sold by the FDIC when the FDIC was liquidating properties to make back money. And so... A lot of people there resented Marvin for coming in and buying a cheap property from the FDIC at auction. I'm not sure if this is actually the case or not, but this is one of the reasons that Marvin offers as to why people in the town of Granby hated him and wanted to chase him out of Granby and to, to ruin his life and destroy his retirement. One of the ways in which this manifested, according to Marvin, <laughs> this is a this is something I will constantly need to qualify things with. According to Marvin, <laughs> they wouldn't connect him to the sewer, um, the the sanitation district, because they really hated him for buying this property. What the the administration in Granby says happened was that, so in the United States, apparently, paying for the line from your property to the public main line. Is, is normal. It's normal that the property owner has to pay for that. And in Marvin's case, just because of the shape of the property, mm. it was quite difficult to put in. So he needed, needed like 30, 40 metres of line as well as a lift station um, because it, it must have been going uphill. Yeah. And probably that, that would have cost about $70,000 to install. So like- I don't blame him for being annoyed at that. So he's paid about $50,000 for this property and then it's going to be $70,000 so that his sewage system isn't shitting in like a concrete truck barrel. Yeah, surely that 
Like you, you yeah, would be really you annoyed about that. when you're buying properties. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I guess, so much you know, stuff. it's that it's caveat emptor, but still, I, I would be really pissed off if I bought oh, a property yeah. and then realized, oh, I'm going to have to spend seventy thousand dollars US to like have access to the sewerage system and to to running water. So yeah, I would be really annoyed about that. But the thing is, that's that's not meant to be unusual in the United States. But Marvin interpreted it as one of the first attacks of a a long line of attacks from the town of Granby upon him. And I think the sewer district suggested to Hemai that he could put in a septic tank as a less expensive alternative, and he rejected this and kept demanding that they pay for the the lift station and the the open canal that that was required for him to be connected to the sanitation district. This is one of the things that he said it he described mm. it as, I quote, extortion by government fiat. Mm. Mm. And I think this is part of where He's a patriot. Yeah, yeah. Part of where the Marvin was an you know an anti anti-government tyranny American patriot who was martyred for this, where that story comes up. It's just if you look even remotely closely at what happened, that story just completely falls to pieces. That he was it's not really government tyranny. Like he was he was demanding that the government paid for this thing that it, it apparently almost never pays for. It's not really tyranny. It's just you not wanting to pay for <laughs> it's it. Tyranny, yeah. <laughs> government it's tyranny, tyranny the government not. doesn't pay for stuff that I want it to pay for. <laughs> anyway, so he keeps returning to this that he just doesn't have um he doesn't have a sewage solution. And that that really bothered him. And he just keeps returning to this during these tapes and getting more and more and more worked up. And it gets more and more conspiratorial as well, because initially it's just Bud Wilson, the superintendent of the water sanitation district in Granby, told him that he needed to get hooked up to the sanitation district and then kept throwing up administrative roadblocks or not communicating to Marvin that there'd been some sort of problem. And this mutates during the course of these tapes where, like you said, Levi, he might have been drinking. He certainly sounds more and more animated as time goes on. That mutates (laughs) into basically the town of Granby and the administration are just trying to make my life hell by, by not letting me have a toilet. So that early on, that's one of the problems he he will repeatedly return to. Then back to what you said about a boat storage, he decided to turn this property into a boat storage to earn a bit of money because he said, look, I can put up buildings and then people store boats in there and then I don't have to worry about you know, maintaining anything or having a muffler shop. Mm. So he did that. He did end up opening a muffler shop, I think, on this property as well to make money and it's he knew how to do that he'd had muffler shops before and apparently he was making good money from that and by 1998 i think he was making good money from the muffler shop in boulder the muffler shop i think he had a muffler shop in granby as well the muffler shop in grand lake and so he was he was happier but he there wasn't peace with his neighbors could you imagine how how fucking annoying it would be to live next to somebody who's just like pro- getting progressively like more and more irate. 
Just like yeah. accusing your horse horse of crap. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe I imagine that this is probably a progressive thing. He probably started out maybe just being a bit a bit useless, and then, <laughs> and then by like two thousand three, he's just like going crazy at you <laughs> and then rampaging through your town. The thing is, I don't even think he was useless because he. Okay, I'm taking him for his word here, but he'd had a number of businesses in different places and made them work. So he, I don't know, he he was he had competence. It was it's just this. I think part of it was he must have been lonely because he talks a lot about how he he didn't have a family, he didn't have a wife or kids, and God made him that way so that he mm. could be free to teach the people of Granby a lesson. <laughs> Because he kept bringing that up, I'd, I'll assume that the fact that he didn't have a family bothered him. Mm, mm. So he was, he was probably pretty lonely. As we said earlier as well, armor-plating a bulldozer and then trying to destroy a town over a property dispute is the sort of idea that comes about when you don't have external input. And that, yeah. that sounds like a loneliness idea to me. In fact, would you say that, like, Solanus, Dorna, like, a lot of these people tended to be very lonely. Elliot Roger. Elliot Roger, yeah. Definitely seems to be a recurring theme here. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> intense as if prolonged, is really, really toxic for a human. Intense and prolonged social isolation, as well as yeah. having some, some, some particular misgiving about the world. Whether it's women or men or an institution, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's it's nineteen ninety seven, which is where things start really, really kicking off for Marvin. So he's already he's already pissed off about not being able to get access to the the sanitation district. It's hard to say whether at the time he considered this to be an attack on him or not, but cert- certainly by two thousand and four, when he recorded this, he considered that to be an attack. So the next big problem was in 1997, the Docev family, remember Cody Docev was part of this family, and this family had owned a concrete plant on the property that Marvin was now the owner of previously. The Docev family wanted to expand their concrete business by making a concrete plant somewhere, and they were buying up land around their current lot, which was near um it was near Marvin's property. Mm. So they'd brought up they'd bought up a lot of land. They were planning on making a a small commercial and light industrial park with their concrete plant somewhere in there. And they they brought these plans to the town planning commission in Granby. Joe Dochef, the son of Cody Dochef, approached Hemeyer on behalf of the Docev family to see if they could also buy his property for their concrete plant. And Hemeyer at first said, sure, I'll do it for $250,000. Bear in mind, he, he bought this property for a bit over $50,000. So he's he doing pretty years. well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is, again, where the, the stories of... of Hemeyer and everyone else diverge. Hemeyer says that he made this offer and just heard nothing back from the Dochev family. Mm. The Dochev family said that they returned a few days later with $250,000 and were willing to pay that. 
because they they must have felt that yeah he their, their return on investment out. would would be fine like they they could absorb that cost he he left that part out <laughs> he left <laughs> that part out he whoa so, a revelation <laughs> yeah according to him out. if you go by what he said in these tapes it sounds like one he I'm pretty sure he claims that he demanded a much lower price than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he also claims that it, they didn't return to him. And not merely that, but he would go to them and say, oh, are you, are you still wanting to buy it? I'll sell it to you. Apparently what happened, no. So he first said $250,000. They came back a few days later. But then he said, actually, no, I want $375. Uh, Three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. <laughs> the thousand is important. Done. Yeah. Three, <laughs> that would have been very pleased with that. <laughs> That's called confusion negotiating tactics. <laughs> you, you confuse your counterparty by, throw it by going from three orders thousand dollars to three hundred seventy-five dollars. <laughs> I learned that from the art of the deal. It's one of Trump's tactics. Just keep him confused. Them <laughs> We've got the biggest discounts in all of Granby. Hey, it'd be a pretty good discount. I would. <laughs> it's I would buy. Discount. I would buy two acres for three hundred and seventy-five dollars. <laughs> anyway, so he says he hints at this happening, but again, it's it's pretty garbled in his telling. So he does keep saying that he got um he got someone to evaluate the property's value, and he he got the the figure of. $400,000, but because he was being reasonable, he demanded $375,000. And then he says he got, he got the value appraised again, and it was appraised at half a million dollars, but he was willing to go to $450,000. It's just part of it is the stream of consciousness of how Marvin recounts the, the events of the past decade or so in the Killdozer tapes that <laughs> he tells these two stories discontinuously so that he he talks about the Dochefs trying to buy the land from him as this sort of separate entity so he basically says okay they came to me and i i gave them a figure that i wanted and they never get back to me or got back to me and then later he keeps saying oh they kept trying to buy it but i couldn't deal with them so there's kind of this parallel strand of the Dochefs trying to buy the property from him and then another parallel strand is him saying, him offering the figures $250,000 and then talking about, oh, I got it appraised and then I wanted $375,000 and then I got it reappraised and I wanted $450,000. But these things, he doesn't put these things together, even though they're actually really, really important. They need to be together to make sense, but he doesn't do that for you. It's really, it's, <laughs> it's kind of it's all over the place. If you only listen to him, it's extremely confusing. It's only when you hear what other people who didn't didn't decide to build the MK tank and destroy the town of Granby <laughs> say about what happened that it starts to make sense that it becomes. See, I don't want to ruin a lot the, clearer the image of Marvin Haymeyer, American patriot, <laughs> laying siege to government tyranny and fighting yeah. for freedom. 
<laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to ruin that image in my head. So I, I'm not going to absorb any any alternative <laughs> points of no, view. No. Then he's rambling three hours. Of, even uh, even taken. If even if you don't look outside the context of him rambling for three hours, even then it's pretty hard to piece together a story of resisting government tyranny because it seems. <laughs> More than anything else, it seems that he just hates the town of Granby. He really he just, hates Granby. He, he hates just hates Granby. Granby. <laughs> so even the government tyranny narrative, I guess you could say oh, he hates the tyranny of the Granby district administration. <laughs> the Granby local council. Look, look, <laughs> look, Marvin, everybody hates their local, local yeah. council, okay? Everybody. And everywhere. I, I've lived in a lot of different local councils. They all no suck. one's ever happy. They always suck. Everywhere in the world, local council sucks. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't mean you have to bulldoze the town <laughs> in your MK tank. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't get at least one external opinion on an idea that you've been thinking about for a decade. The real tragedy was probably the loss of the hot tub, so when he had to sell the, the hot, hot tub. tub. <laughs> should we should we reveal the significance of the hot tub now or should yeah, we build yeah, up to the significance of the hot tub? We're still more coherent than Marvin. We're still yeah. Which says something because none of our episodes <laughs> are famed for their Jack, coherence. Jack started looking off into the, to the distance like like one of those cats like, yeah, that that does say something. <laughs> <laughs> but we're still more coherent than Marvin. The hot tub is important. So <laughs> The hot tub's important because that was where the idea of Killdozer came to Marvin. There's this part in the in the tapes where he's getting really emotional and louder and more shouty and harder to follow, where he's talking about how he was sitting in his hot tub and just weeping at how the town of Granby had treated him. And then this this divine peace came over him and he realized what he had to do. Interestingly, during this whole almost three hours of, of him talking continuously, he never directly says what he's going to do. He makes reference to the bulldozer and to armor plating it and things like that and talks a lot about how the people of Granby are going to learn their lessons. And he, for, for he, generations in Granby, people will have learned their lesson from what Marvin Hemeyer was going to and do, and it's it. a slow burn as well. He built up. He's actually he's he actually got quite a he's got a knack for dramatic effect because the first time I think in the recording, at least that I noted down, was probably at the one hour mark or something. He says something to the effect of, "People in this town are not going to learn until something drastic happens." Yeah, <laughs> I think I have that exact quote, and it will. <laughs> <laughs> he, he starts off just like seating, and then by the end of it, he's like, the by MK the tank. Like, <laughs> by the end of it, it's like, yeah, the MK <laughs> tank is my mission from God. My mission it came God. to me while I was crying in the hot tub about how I'd been treated by the people of Grandy. <laughs> a serene peace came him, over me. Him, him weeping in a hot tub and God, God contacting him and putting the idea in his head of this is of- what. This is what I've got in plan. Of armor for you, plating his. Armor, he, you've got to armor plate your, 355. Your bulldozer. <laughs> and driving it through the town. And driving through the Granby Town Hall. <laughs> he, he was so distressed. And then God was like, hey, hey Marvin. Hey, Marvin. I've got a really good idea, Marvin. Good idea. Marvin, 
Well, you see that tank? I'm oh, sorry, sorry. You see that bulldozer? <laughs> Imagine see, if it was covered in concrete. This is oh. what makes me doubt that it was a message from God, because I find it hard that an infinitely wise being would have this <laughs> catastrophically bad idea. <laughs> You know, you win some, you lose some. Maybe even an omnipotent and omniscient god makes makes some bad decisions. Hey, Marvin, bro. <laughs> you really want to teach those bastards a lesson? <laughs> Do you want the town of Granby for generations <laughs> to learn their lesson? <laughs> I've got a really good idea. I think you could cause $9 million of property damage <laughs> with the MK tank. <laughs> I was I was just creating some laws of physics and I realized that wow, Marvin's really been hard done by down in Bodunk, sorry, <laughs> Granby in Colorado. <laughs> Better go help my boy out. How about we quickly get through the timeline of what happened and then we can we can fill in some of the funny details cuz there's not there's not that much more to what what happened. Basically, <laughs> so that the, the Doche family couldn't buy Marvin's yeah, property because, you know, according to him, they, like, approached him once and then just never returned his phone calls or something. According to them, they kept coming to him and every time they came to him, he wanted, like, a hundred grand more for the property. And so eventually they said, fuck it, and started to get planning approval to make the, the concrete plant and the light industrial park on the properties that they did own. To this end, they bought one property that that I think bordered Marvin's property to the south, and they were going to build the concrete plant there. And they went to the town of Granby and asked for planning approval for all of these things. Marvin got wind of it and flipped out, and he lawyered up. Mm. He has some choice words about his lawyer. He was not happy with his lawyer's performance. No, not at all. But <laughs> He lawyered up and started trying to stop the the planning approval for this concrete plant. To this end, he also apparently rallied people in Granby to his cause. And there was initially within Granby a lot of opposition to the plant. So wow. Marvin was saying it would be an ecological disaster. There'll be dust everywhere. It'll be noisy. It will look really bad. And so you see, it's things like this that make me not quite believe that the entire town had just turned on him as soon as he bought the property from the FDIC because obviously because he was going around the him. town canvassing, talking to people, mm. and people thought people thought he was reasonable enough that at least initially they opposed the construction of this concrete plant. It's historical details like this that make me doubt his, the claims made in 2004, shortly before he would go on his MK tank rampage. <laughs> make me think yeah, that's a maybe he wasn't detail. thinking straight. Yet another, another revelation that uh, has only just come to light for Levi, for me, Levi, mm. is that he never mentioned that in, in his recording. <laughs> he never mentioned, oh, yeah, so I was going around getting people to support my cause and even got a petition signed or whatever the hell he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's just yeah, left like out he, that small detail. He canvassed public support for it and he was initially he was initially successful. So apparently the Dochevs addressed a number of these concerns, but like I, I have no idea how concrete plants are built, but 
apparently they they said that they'd build in things that would make it less noisy, that would help with the dust and make it look nicer. And many of the people in Granby were happy with this. And the the opposition was further dampened after um, it it came out that the Dochefs had tried to buy Marvin's property a few times and that Marvin was was obstructionist, apparently, in these negotiations, both by repeatedly raising the price, which was... an obstructionist. That's an extremely diplomatic way to put it. Which was quite high initially. Again, considering he bought it for 50000 and was wanting to sell it for a quarter of a million dollars to them. He was an obstructionist. And that eventually going up to $450,000. He, he would have done quite well from selling it. Imagine it had done very nice. Imagine if he had actually sold it, just fucking sold it five times what he bought it for. In in only in so he got the two hundred fifty thousand offer in like ninety seven or something like that. So it was yeah. only like six six years or something. So that probably like that's a that's a good return on that's an a good return on a piece of property in the middle of fucking. Rural that you didn't Colorado. even want. And that he didn't he want. He didn't even want it and initially. barely developed and you still haven't connected it to the goddamn sewerage. <laughs> you didn't even have sewer access. Like, it's, take... take. That's another thing that... Take a win think, like, when it comes, man. This guy's probably not that reasonable. Okay, so I say this guy's probably not that probably reasonable. Not that, I mean, the guy Dozer. who drew armor clad in a bulldozer and drove through town. It's not a reasonable person. That person? <laughs> is that guy? That guy, yeah. As further... Further evidence that maybe this guy wasn't so reasonable. If, if you weren't already convinced he, he that Marvin Kildozer Haymire was not a reasonable person, Jack's going to He repeatedly just... turned down a pretty good deal for, for 5Xing the money invested in this property. That he, yeah, he barely he would have got an 8X. Wasn't on... connected to the sanitation. He almost got 8 or 9X, didn't they? They offered him 450 or well, something? The, yeah, it, eventually they were offering apparently like a half a million dollars. Yeah, so, so he would have made TEDx. That's that's good. That's I'd like Trump it. money. I'd be happy. That's a deal. That's a that's good deal. A, even even Donald Trump, master of deals, as we learned in the art of the deal, even he'd probably be happy with that, <laughs> yeah, that margin. Probably, probably, I bet he's never been it's to Granby, like, Colorado. Okay, Marvin, <laughs> just just take your four hundred and fifty thousand US dollars, nineteen nineties US dollars of profit, and be happy. But no, he wasn't happy. So once this came to light too, his, uh, his intransigence in dealing with the Dochev family when it came to them trying to buy the property, once this came out, basically Granby public support for him just completely fell off a cliff, which is not unfair. So that would have been closer, <laughs> like in today's purchasing power, that would have been closer to like 900000 or a million dollars, or a million dollars, like, something like that. Just, just take the money. <laughs> yeah, he really screwed the pooch on that one. He could, he probably could have almost retired. That was that. that was a slam dunk. And the entire time, he's just being completely intransigent about it. <laughs> completely unreasonable. And he gets to the point of like being up to eight to ten x his money, having done fuck all with the property except for like put a shed on it. <laughs> yeah, he built he'll be, he built some sheds on it to rent out for boat sheds. Yeah, by this point, by this point, he had a muffler shop there, so it wasn't completely undeveloped. So yeah, he'd invested in some sheds in a muffler shop, but even then, like the the return for selling this thing for. $500,000 in the 90s. Anyway, 
So he he continued to try to get the planning knocked back for the, the Dochev's plans to, to build a concrete plant. He says that his lawyer that he hired, who was from Granby, was not merely, not merely a bad lawyer, but was being paid off by the Dochev's, by the planning board of Granby, and as such was, was just not acting in Marvin's interests. Again, though, because he, he perseverates on that. He just keeps returning to how his lawyer was, was corrupt and getting paid off by the Dochev's and the, the zoning board of Granby to, to obstruct Marvin. That's another red flag. He gets more and more conspiratorial throughout the recording. Yeah, but the thing is, even this conspiracy, again, it's, he seems to have just separated a number of things that should have been together. So one strand that in Marvin's mind is separate is my lawyer was being paid by the Dochev family and by the local administration of Granby to obstruct me. Separate to that is he keeps talking about how he got the planning delayed a few times and how the lawyer came up with these various ways to just throw up roadblocks for the Dochev family. These two things, however, seem to exist separately for Marvin because if the lawyer was being paid by the Dochev family, why did he keep coming up with successful ways to delay them and to cost them money? <laughs> not, not a reliable narrator. Yeah, so this is something not mentioned by, by Hemeyer, but in June 2001, so this has been going on for 10 years, Marvin's various quarrels with the Granby administration or with people in Granby. So in June of 2001, Joe Dochef made Hemeyer an offer whereby if Hemeyer stopped throwing up lawsuits against them trying to get permission to make this concrete plant, the Dochev family would provide him an easement through their property to connect to a sewer line so he wouldn't have to build a pumping station. He could get an easement through their property so he could run a sewer line through their property to connect to the sewer line to the, that the concrete plant would have free of charge. So this would be this would be saving him at least $70,000, which was the cost quoted to, to get the sewer line mm. and the pump. Mm. He apparently just hung up. He was like, nah, don't want it. What is with he this was, guy, man? He was a man with, with wounded pride. I think... Or a man of principle. A man of... <laughs> <laughs> it's just... A man of principle, but it's just hard to work out what principle what is, is the principle. The principle is just being petty to get back at the Dochevs. <laughs> That's the, the thing. Is. When when I I see YouTube comments talking about how this man is is an American patriot resisting tyranny, I just like maybe I'm just insufficiently freedom loving, but it seems to be him being really fucking. Petty. <laughs> petty to the point where it is it is costing him so much money, this pettiness. You just hate freedom. I just hate freedom. You just hate he, freedom and you hate America. It just seems like there were these people who were actually trying really hard to accommodate him. <laughs> <laughs> and he just kept throwing it back in their faces until eventually, so eventually the Dochev family said fuck it and got their planning permission and just built the concrete plant. It's like, okay, we're going to stop trying to work with Marvin Hemeyer because for so long, for years and years, he's rejected a $500,000 offer to buy the property that he bought for $50,000. He's 
rejected our offer of giving him an easement through our property and building a sewer line for him and connecting it to our sewer line. It's, he's just he just kept throwing it back in people's faces. You know what might have happened? He might have kept on thinking like, how much more can I get out of these people? And then as he, at, at, once he went too far and they were just like, no, nah, not going to deal with the guy anymore. You know, like yeah, $500,000 and <laughs> whatever they were offering him. Um, they're probably just like, this guy is just not, just not being reasonable. <laughs> just mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's just get on with it. And so in 2002, his lawsuit was dismissed and they, they started building the concrete plant. And Fuck, this, is, just this is when he went off the fucking deep end. He was, if we're going to stretch the analogy, he was already very tenuously holding on to... He was, he was like, you know, like when you're kind of tripping over and you're yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. rotating your arms trying to keep you balanced, that's him for he about 10 years forward. on the edge of a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> he was stumbling forward at the edge of the cliff like, and whoa, then after whoa, April whoa. 2002, <laughs> he fell over. He just uh, absolutely lost it. I'm going to get you fucking toe chaps. So what happened is basically he started selling his stuff. He started auctioning his stuff and <laughs> he, he sold his property for $400,000. So he did very well. He did really well off that. He took out a lease for half the building he previously owned to, I quote, finish some work. And, and at auction, he failed to sell his Komatsu bulldozer. Failed to sell the Komatsu bulldozer and then noticed that it perfectly fit into one of the sheds he built. Like, you could. You this could was fit, providential. You could fit a bee's dick in between. Yeah. The sides of the There's tank this, and that door, it just, just in there. He's talking Perfect about how <laughs> he was considering buying a different type of bulldozer that was much more powerful and much bigger, and it just wouldn't have fit. But for some reason, well, we know the reason. God made him buy the Komatsu instead of the bigger, bigger bulldozer because the Komatsu could fit into one of these sheds and be hidden, whereas the bigger bulldozer couldn't. And this is where it. The conspiratorial thinking really, really starts to come out in the latter half of these tapes where he's putting all these pieces together. He's like, God didn't give me a family. God made the people of Granby turn against me. God made my lawyer be paid off by the Granby administration and screw up my lawsuit. God made me not be able to sell my Komatsu bulldozer. God made me build this shed to the right dimensions. And then in the year and a half or so that he spent armor plating the bulldozer because like, this guy he spent so much time he he maintained this terrible idea in his mind <laughs> for like for an extended period he even took a, a break during the winter <laughs> he still came oh, back at the end of his <laughs> winter break i was like yep that's still a good idea that's still a good idea <laughs> and that was the, the winter break was even he even saw that he saw within that providence how he was like oh i was initially gonna do mm. It because again he never names explicitly what he's going what he's planning on doing. He's like I, I never did it. It or I had to put it off because I'm an older man and I just I can't work like I used to. But God made me put it off. I'm not sure to what end, but he kept he kept seeing the fact that he couldn't finish it 
by his deadline as also an act of God. The fact that... So people came over to, I think, to inspect the property when he was selling it. And at this time, he was already constructing Killdozer. That's so crazy. And yeah, he covered it up with a tarp. And I think Some one of the people of who was inspecting the property just kind of offhandedly asked what was what was going on here, what he was What's building. under that tarp? Yeah, what? <laughs> and he, Maya, he spent a really long time going over his excuse, and it was something really weird about, oh, I'm working with a university to develop a new cooling system for, for bulldozers. I bet and you he the was guy like, was like... And they bought it. And he, he seems to think that without God's intervention the people would have realised, oh, no, he's armour-plating a bulldozer because he's going to drive that bulldozer through the town of Granby. And he, he seems to think that that's the obvious conclusion to draw from saying they nearly a me, bulldozer. But I, me, my cunning, conniving brain, threw him off with some quick wit. It's like, on the spot, inspired by God. Oh, you know what? Research project with the university. They were probably like, they were probably yeah, actually just there, like, okay, man, whatever. <laughs> Let's get I was just making small talk. Just, I don't give a shit. I don't about care what you're doing. I don't want to be here. <laughs> I'm just doing this so that we've got it's the insurance also, papers filled out. <laughs> I guess. So now, now that I say it out loud, it's just further evidence. It just speaks to his declining mental state. Yeah. How conspiratorial he is in that he assumes that other people, if they saw his bulldozer would immediately assume, oh, he's going to drive this bulldozer through the Granby Town Hall. Well, I, to be fair, <laughs> I think if you saw it armour-clad in concrete, you mm-hmm. probably would be suspicious. You'd be like, yeah, yeah. What, what are you doing? why is it covered in armour? <laughs> why have you covered <laughs> your bulldozer in armour? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so if you were to see it, you probably would pretty easily draw the conclusion that he's up to no good. <laughs> <laughs> but if you just walked into his house and you didn't sit or into his garage, I think he was living out of it on, he, he was spending a lot of time in the garage or in the storage. Yeah. And you just saw some tarp okay. in this guy. Like you're like, yeah, okay, whatever, man, you do you. <laughs> okay. How about we can, we can quickly go over the, um, like w- what happened on June for 2004 when he went on his rampage. And then we can go back and, and just talk about some of the, the funny quotes and things like that from, from the tapes, so we can give people a, a vague outline of what what's going on over, <laughs> after we've been talking about it for over an hour. Anyway, so at, at about you know in the afternoon, Hemeyer started his MK tank rampage, and the first thing he did was so by this point the Dochefs had built Mountain Park concrete, so they built their concrete plant. I should also add, no one else around them had a problem with the plant. It was just Marvin Hemeyer, who was driven crazy by the existence of the plant. He was so angry about it. Anyway, that was his first I'm target. I'm going to put bets so, on envy or jealousy. Yeah. yeah. And it's how he keeps, he keeps in, the, in the tapes saying that he's a really successful man and everyone in Granby is so envious of his incredible success. And I think... I'd, Playing armchair psychologist has played out, but <laughs> we come on, we do it all the time. When you're repeatedly, well, I do it all the time. I love playing everyone around you of being incredibly envious of what you have, while also engaging in behaviours that 
could easily be interpreted as envious makes me think that <laughs> the problem is probably with you, Marvin. It's, the problem is probably with the man who thinks that God is talking to armor plating a bulldozer <laughs> and driving it through the Granby Town Hall on the basis of a message from God that he received while crying in his hot tub over losing a lawsuit. <laughs> That's probably the unreasonable part in this this whole situation. It, it's it's funny to think like he never he never stopped to reflect on what was happening. But this is why I keep saying it's the sort of thing where if you're socially isolated. And just don't let anyone else in. You can you can rabbit hole yourself to the point where none of these none of these things seem discordant. Where it seems yeah. reasonable that God talked to you while you were crying in the hot tub about losing a lawsuit and gave you the idea to to become Killdozer. Killdozer. Like that. That this this is divine wisdom. <laughs> this idea is divinely inspired. It's, it's, it's like this idea that is a catastrophically bad idea <laughs> and is obviously catastrophically bad to anyone who's who hasn't been just stewing in in their own resentment for years and years and years. This is why you've got you've got to run your ideas past other people. You've <laughs> Ideas that you have, any important idea or idea that's going to change your life, you've got to run it past at least one other person. That's that's the moral of of the Killdozer story, or, or at least a cat. <laughs> you know, like run it past just, the cat. Just say it out loud. <laughs> say it out loud. Say it to because a cat will tell you straight to your face. He didn't say his idea like, out loud in the tapes. That's a pretty bad idea, mate. <laughs> meow, 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 meow. Just, just don't do you do really it. want to do that? Meow, meow. <laughs> Mum be like, oh yeah. Now I say it out loud to my cat. Yeah, you know what? Maybe I won't ram you know my bulldozer what? through the town hall. <laughs> I sold my property for $400,000, having bought it for $50,000. I guess I could just go somewhere else and continue my life. <laughs> and be live in peace with a massive windfall. <laughs> with a huge profit. <laughs> and just go about my business and <laughs> not armor clad my bulldozer <laughs> and smash up people's property. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So he went and destroyed the the concrete plant owned by Cody Dochev. And while he was doing this, I should say there were there were ports in the the cabin of the the bulldozer from which he could shoot out of. So he had a bunch of guns as well in his armor clad bulldozer. Some little portholes. Yeah, so he was he was also firing a pistol at at people. While he was he was driving around, when he attacked the um the concrete plant, a bunch of employees tried to stop the bulldozer by like jamming stuff in the treads. But the Komat- Komatsu just makes one good bulldozer; they couldn't stop it. Cody Dochev shot at the bulldozer, but but it was too well armor clad, and so it the the bullets just bounced off. And then ah oh, yeah, here we go. He had a front end loader. He didn't have a bulldozer. He had a front end loader. So. He tried to duel the MK tank with a front end loader, but the MK tank beat the front end loader. I just, I love the idea of people <laughs> battling it out with construction equipment. <laughs> this is how they settle their differences. Out in rural yeah, Colorado, and- they get into they get into heavy heavy vehicle battles. <laughs> and at this point, too, apparently Hemeyer was shooting at the front end loader with a pistol. 
This is completely crazy, isn't it? Out of Killdozer. Doshev must have been. I mean, you might have a really um, dysfunctional relationship with your neighbor and just think, man, this guy's an, an asshole or he's just completely crazy. I just don't want to deal with him. You know, how can we get him out? We've offered him so much money mm. to get the hell out of the town and he just won't leave. Like, well, and then, then he rocks and then he up with, a, with an arm inflated <laughs> bulldozer to destroy your business. He, he must just be like, what the fuck is going on? What is this guy's problem? <laughs> what? what is wrong with this man? <laughs> and then this just speaks to how firmly convinced he Maya was that he was doing the right thing. So at, at a speed of about 8Ks an hour, these things are not like bulldozers aren't fast at the best of times. They're even less fast when they're, co- they're covered in armor plating. <laughs> he he drove from Grand Lake to Granby, which was it's say like 20, 25 Ks at eight Ks an hour. So and and the administration at Granby was they were aware that he was inbound and couldn't stop it. <laughs> it's just could you it's like that scene from um Austin Powers where the guy is screaming, he's like, no, stop. Oh, with the steamroller. Oh, it's so good. It's this scene where Austin's got like a a, a bulldozer but with like one of those rolling pins on it. To flatten things, and the yeah, guy steamroller. Yeah, steamroller. Steamroller. Yeah, he's like screaming for like thirty seconds. Can you imagine being the, <laughs> That's the Grand Grand administration though? Just knowing that this absolute maniac was inbound in an armor-plated bulldozer, having already destroyed the property of someone it, w- w- with whom he had a dispute, and, and also shot at him. And you know, you've got two hours. And knowing to... that he had real problems with your your town's administration, and he's very slowly making <laughs> his, way his way towards, towards you yeah. in an armor pl- a homemade armor-plated bulldozer. Yeah, so but luckily it gave the town enough time to actually evacuate. Yeah, they evacuated, they evacuated. and nobody died, and and nobody really got nobody hurt. died. Nobody got and hurt. did they? Maybe Cody. Got so hurt. some people, some people I've heard talking about he Meyer seem to be saying that he didn't intend to hurt anyone, and the fact that no one was killed speaks to the fact that he Meyer was a freedom loving patriot, and he just no, wanted to teach the town. Contradicts what he says but, in in his own recording. Yeah, but like, he was shooting. He was shooting out of the <laughs> out of the bulldozer. Like that, to my mind, is not a piece. He was lag. shooting at propane and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was he was trying to blow up a propane storage facility by shooting at it. So and and he was also like trying to run over police roadblocks and things like that that was staffed by police officers. I don't think he was a a peaceful Pretty hard case to per, make. Like he, he wasn't a, a peaceful, freedom loving citizen resisting tyrannical government. <laughs> if if he hurt people, he would have been okay with that. <laughs> yeah. He says that he he is willing to kill people in his recording towards the end. Yeah. Uh, so that yeah, he got to Granby, he he drove through the town hall, he destroyed a bunch of other shops. The police just couldn't stop him. <laughs> a scraper, an, another piece of of uh, of equipment, was brought in to try to stop the bulldozer, but the bulldozer <laughs> defeated the scraper as well. <laughs> I, I really, really like his robot. A, a few people tried to fight fire with fire. They saw that he had a bulldozer, so they got their own 
piece of construction equipment. How crazy would it have been if, if one of the other townsfolk actually pulled out their own armor-plated heavy vehicle? Their own MK yeah, tank. and was like, I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, hey, man. <laughs> I'm going to show you what for. As I said earlier, eventually his rampage was stopped when his bulldozer drove over a hidden basement in a in a shop that he was destroying. The roof of the basement collapsed and the the bulldozer got kind of stuck in it and he couldn't leave. Foiled. Damn it. He was foiled and he shot himself inside. So he'd he'd welded himself inside the bulldozer. And in the tapes, he says that he knows he's going to die. In this attempt, like he he knew this would be his final act, but yeah, he he shot himself inside, and that's how it ended. That seems to also be a common theme amongst these people. If yeah, they know yeah. like so, Dorna definitely, mm-hmm. Elliot Roger definitely, um, are like okay, well, this is the last thing I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go down, yeah, in a blaze of glory with my killdozer. It's it's um kind of like the height of cowardice isn't it you know like at the end of this like i'm gonna go and do something incredibly destructive and i'm not i'm going to make sure i don't pay any consequences for it <laughs> i'm mm. gonna remove the world i'm gonna remove my victim's capacity for um for retribution you know take that away from yeah them. i'm gonna do all this damage and then i'm gonna take that away from them and then he's gonna get rewarded by god and then i'm gonna go to elysia dance he's around gonna, he's gonna get to go to heaven because can, can you imagine Saint, like St. Peter <laughs> seeing Marvin Hebar and be like, Oh yeah, you you're the killdozer guy. Yeah, I got word from God that you're you're to come straight in <laughs> like, after he gave you the idea for killdozing your hot tub. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of these tapes. These tapes are better in terms of painting a picture as to Marvin's subjectivity shortly before the rampage and his his motivations for doing it. Because in terms of laying out what happened, they're pretty bad. They're pretty incomplete. They're all over the place. They're pretty incoherent, especially towards the end. They're they're very incoherent, <laughs> very emotional, <laughs> but. But in, in terms of biographical details, quite incoherent. Mm. I was just wanting to go over... So I did take... I made a list of the, the reasons that he offers as to why he did this. One of the things that really makes me... Well, makes me think that this is mostly revenge. It's not really yeah. anything more but than that. But revenge for what? It's like, come on, dude. You nearly... You could have gone out with so much money. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, and revenge, he, petty he does actually say that towards the end. He talks about how he could have, how he'd made money from selling his lot. He could just live his life on that. But he felt that he he keeps bringing up the figure three hundred thousand dollars. He says mm. that the town mm. of Granby has cost him three hundred thousand dollars somehow. Was it something to do with like rent not collected or something like that during the nineties. He keeps offering different reasons for it. Yeah. So it's a combination of things like he had to pay money or something for a sewage solution that he, he refused to do. So he, he factors that in, I think, rent that he should have collected, lost, lost business in the muffler shop because of the, I think, the noise or the dust from 
from the concrete plant, the drop in the land's value because the concrete plant devalued the land, even though like the amount of money he got for it says that that's not really the case. That he kept getting it's also it's okay, so I, I know I've said this before. Him complaining that the concrete plant meant that his land got devalued. I just don't buy that considering the Doche family said that they'd pay him like half a million bucks before mm. they'd even built the plant. That, that, I just don't buy that as, as something to get upset over. It's like you had an out. They kept, they not only told you that they were going to build a concrete plant, but they offered you money to get out of the way. Mm. Mm. He keeps talking about how he, he can't let that slide, that this $300,000 that he says the town of Granby cost him, that's what he, he can't let slide. And he wouldn't be a man if he didn't get back at them for that. His hatred for the town of Granby is pretty deep too. How, okay, here we go. I quote, it's a kind of a community that in order for you to get ahead, you have to keep the neighbor down. You got to be bad mouthing everybody. So he keeps saying that the people there are very unchristian because they just, they don't love their neighbors. They just attack their neighbors, which <laughs> I guess uncharitably mm. I'd say is exactly what Marvin Hemeyer kept doing, <laughs> especially when he drove an armor plated bulldozer through their property. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it, it depends whether or not you think he's being sincere, right? In his report. So is he, mm. is he actually just full spite and petty vengeance? But he's misrepresenting his account, or he's he's misrepresenting that, and he's trying to spin a yarn of like righteous um, fury, justified mm. fury, or he actually genuinely thinks, no, I actually actually have been wronged, and he mm. like lacked the self awareness. Or whatever. I think he truly felt he'd been wronged. Yeah. Because th- this is such an extreme act. Like, you don't do this cynically. <laughs> yeah. This is, like, he, he committed suicide having welded himself inside an armoured bulldozer. This is, this is such an extreme act that I, he must have been sincere in his belief that he'd been hard done by. What else? Oh, did, more stuff mm. about Granby, how he says that, he says that the people in Granby would laugh at him openly. After he'd lost the case against um, the the rezoning of the the property that would become the concrete plant, he also says that the town of Granby is is morally sick and poor because he'd had three attempted break-ins in his muffler shop in Granby and one successful break-in, and says that he hadn't had any break-ins in other businesses and other places that he'd owned. Oh, what about this quote? What about this quote? Because he, he keeps addressing himself mm. to the Dochev family. Mm. Mm. Basically, what all this is going to prove when it's all over with, if it's, e- if it's ever all over with, which I doubt, it's going to prove, I hope it's going to prove that people that meddling in your neighbor's business is destructive for the most part. Mm. It's going to come back to haunt you. It can come back to haunt you, and it can come back to haunt you in spades. And the only person you have to blame is yourself. I also really like this quote. So many people up here are blamers. They are not responsible. They are not accountable. And that's the only way they can survive. Again, coming from the man who just kept turning down really good business deals (laughs) so that he could fulfill his mission from God that he got in his hot tub. (laughs) (laughs) The guy was just completely fucking unhinged. Yeah, he... Yeah. Just 
not not a good judgment. <laughs> terrible <laughs> yeah, judgment. It's a real error in judgment. That's <laughs> <laughs> actually his his repeated diatribes against Cody Dochef are pretty funny. I quote: uh, He's talking about Cody. He's Mr. Napoleon all the way, and in the worst way, the guy couldn't deal with the fact that he was little, and it definitely depraved the man. I mean, the guy is really psychological, needs some psychological help. <laughs> it's like <laughs> pot call a kettle black, mate. Whilst he's pouring concrete for his kill dozer, he's thinking, <laughs> man, that Cody Dochev fucker, he Being needs some sure help. Really, really he really needs some help. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sorry for him, little man. <laughs> and oh, what about this? This is a this is a story that Hemeyer tells. Um, that it just reveals how completely unreasonable he was. But I think he's telling it to try to demonstrate how reasonable he was being. So <laughs> there were these brothers, the Thompson brothers, who owned a property near Marvin. They were also conspiring against Marvin. I'm pretty sure these people, they owned a property that they eventually, they sold to Cody Dochev, or they sold to the Dochev family for the, the Dochev family's plans for the concrete plant, the light industrial park, and the commercial district. And he was, he was really angry with them. Oh, that's right. And they, they owned a property, and M- Marvin wanted them to give him an easement through the property so that he could connect his sewer line to the sanitation district. My guess is that he was so unreasonable with them <laughs> that eventually they said, no, we're not going to do you a favour and let you build on our property to connect you to the sanitation district. So in 2001, Marvin claims that Larry Thompson, so one of the Thompsons, needed to pay him at least $300,000 because of the cost of Marvin not being connected to the sanitation district. And so Larry went to, sorry, Marvin went to Larry's property and demanded $300,000 from him. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) This conversation took place immediately after Larry told Marvin that his brother Ron had died. So Marvin storms into Larry's property and asks him where Ron is. So Ron is his brother who just died. And Larry tells Marvin that Ron had just died and that Larry is grieving his brother's death. So the, Marvin berates Larry over his dead brother being dishonest and then told him that he had to pay him $300,000. I don't know how he arrived at this figure, but Marvin just decided that the Thompsons owed him $300,000, demanded $300,000 from him. And so Larry told Marvin, you can suck my dick. and. Marvin first told Larry that this would never happen and then took this as evidence that Larry was guilty and that Larry truly did owe him $300,000 because why else would Larry get frustrated with Marvin? Again, why else would Larry get frustrated with this man who appeared on his property, berated his dead brother, and then demanded $300,000? I quote regarding Larry Thompson. He's a cowardly bastard. He's a Catholic. And I think that they are some of the biggest cowards I've ever met. I've known it for years. They have a different idea. They read from a different Bible. And they believe the only way they can stay on top and give the Pope his money and all this stuff is to keep their neighbor down. 
He goes, he pulls the Catholic card out. (laughs) (laughs) This is just evidence of how incredibly unreasonable this man must be. He just turns up on these people's property, berates a grieving brother for having a dishonest dead brother, and then demands $300,000. And then when this guy gets angry, it's... It's over some t- totally insane. <laughs> over just this <laughs> terrible behavior. Marvin takes that as evidence that Larry is guilty and Larry truly owes him $300,000. Completely insane. <laughs> <laughs> He's completely unhinged. <laughs> A lot of these tapes are dedicated to him picking different people in Granby that he hates. <laughs> Another person he really hates is Patrick Brower, who's a journalist, who after this wrote... Killdozer, the true story of the Colorado bulldozer rampage. He may have butted heads with this guy over... Okay, so in Granby, for a while, there was discussion over whether to legalise gambling or not. And, and he may have thought that gambling was fine and campaigned a lot for gambling to be legalised. Again, this hints at an engagement with the town. That yeah. He was engaging with the yeah. town and apparently he was finding purchase among people in the town in his, his quest to have gambling legalised, mm. which again just says that the town probably wasn't just universally against him from the start. There probably was a time when they thought that this is a reasonable man and we can deal with him. Mm. It was as he grew more and more unreasonable, I suspect, <laughs> that the people of the town didn't want to deal with him. <laughs> anyway, he initially butted heads with Brower over, over the gambling campaign because Brower wrote articles against gambling. So (laughs) I just wanted to read a quote about Patrick Brower that I found really funny. So I quote, Anyway, this Patrick Brower, I mean, he's a pothead, because you can't tell anybody that, you know. Big liberal army brat has had everything in his life given to him, but he knows how to abuse the power of the pen, and that's a big thing up here, abuse of power. This quote is also quite illustrative of how Hemaya talks. He smashes together like five different I was gonna say trains of thought. More five <laughs> different thing five different resentments that he's been <laughs> stewing yeah, over yeah, for yeah. years. It's just everything is mixed up. Everything is being he's he's just venting about so many different things at once. Here we go. Here's another good quote to uh, that, that attests to his sound state of mind. If I would have been married, had a family, you know things might have gone different, but God built me for this job. He rewarded me for 45, 50 years with the lifestyle that I am so thankful for, and it's unfortunate. The poor people in Granby, so many of them were so jealous of my lifestyle that I could come and go as I please. Well, God blessed me in advance for the task that I am about to undertake. Mm. I like it that the fact that he'd been moderately successful in his businesses was God rewarding him in advance for bulldozing Granby in the MK tank. (laughs) I knew that what I was doing was tough, but it was the right thing and that it was above me. It wasn't me. I was doing this because God wanted me to do it. He He also just keeps saying that this is his cross to bear and he'll bear this cross. (laughs) It's especially, especially when he starts seeing divine purpose in his terrible idea to build the MK tank and destroy, destroy targets in Granby that I thought, yeah, this guy is, has completely lost it. There's always um, a 
a hint of grand purposeness, isn't there? With Dawn, it yeah, wasn't yeah. to do with God. It was more like he was fighting this big battle. Mm-hmm. I suppose we've all got to find meaning in what we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He sounds very dejected at the end of the tapes. Mm. I'll, uh, he, he says first that he's going to get some documents from his computer to read through to give that he's going to read out in the tapes as evidence. Mm. And, you know, that he cuts out and then comes back and says, oh, uh, I, I didn't it. get the documents. Looks it like doesn't matter. I've got to download it. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> so I quote, this is from right near the end. I guess my final point is that they, if the sanitation board in 1992 would have stayed out of my business, the Thompsons, whoever it was, Dick Thompson, Ron Thompson, Larry Thompson, Randy Schmuck, Bud Wilson, and I'm not sure who else was involved, but they stuck their dirty, stinking fingers in my business and they did it with malice and they shouldn't have. And malice begets malice. I guess this is what, this is what isolation and just stewing over thoughts does, where he's taken all of these different things that aren't necessarily related, like the fact that his property needed to be connected to the sanitation district and he had to pay for it and refused. He's connected that with the town of Granby being out to get him. He's connected the fact that he couldn't block the rezoning permit for the Dochev family. Mm. He's connected the fact that he couldn't sell some of his storage units for as much as he wanted. He's, just, he's connected all of these different things that are not, they're not logically connected, but in terms of the emotional valence mm. of them, the resentment he feels, they are connected. He's jammed them all together into this huge, problem that he can't see a way out of. So mm. his solution is the divinely ordained mm. MK tank rampage. Yeah. Um, walking ball of resentment. Yeah. But that, again, I, sorry, I don't want to just con- constantly, like, distract the episode away from our, the star of the show, <laughs> Killdozer, um, but just, you know, like, drawing, <laughs> seeing some patterns between these people. That resentment, <laughs> that resentment yeah. towards this, uh, what would you say? Um, so you've got like this cocktail of loneliness and prolonged isolation together mm. with resentment. And then if you couple that with some sort of grand purpose giving thing, <laughs> yeah, you're going to, have, yeah, I guess the, the high level purpose justifies your reaction Um to the to the against the source of your against the target of your resentment <laughs> yeah and ha- how that that purpose becomes more and more grandiose as the yeah. tapes go on yeah yeah because initially at points he acknowledges earlier on that it's just revenge <laughs> by the end of it though he's saying that he has been successful in his life because god was rewarding him in advance for teaching the people of Granby a lesson, which will improve the people of Granby for generations, that Marvin is bearing this cross. The, the implication is that he's, he's sacrificing himself in a Christ-like way for the people of Granby, for the undeserving for the people, people he, of Granby so much. to improve them. <laughs> Which is presumptuous. It's, it's a big claim to make. That you're, a, you're a divine martyr by bulldozing the, the Granby Town Hall. I'm not convinced. I'm, 
this is a common theme with the i guess the you know the the patriots that we've covered the people who <laughs> at least are said to be standing up for the little guy against tyranny of some sort like with Dorna when you actually listen to what they said it's it's deep resentment against what are seen as personal slights how with Dorna most of it seemed to be that he he got let go from his job and that the the police department said things that i don't know besmirched his good name in the case mm. of Hemai it's that he couldn't get sort of an unreasonable amount of money <laughs> out of the people around him it's like they and offered me so much for it but i wanted more he, he could have 10xed his investment in this property which he didn't even I'm, want I'm, in the I'm, first place. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm completely unsympathetic when someone walks away from that and goes, oh, no, I wanted more. And he didn't want it in the first it's place. Like, it's like, okay, so you got he, this property you didn't want in the first place and now you're looking at making potentially 10x on that. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck is your problem, man? <laughs> Just take the money. And the thing, is, the thing is too, so he eventually sold the property for $400,000, but... The Dochev family offered him even more than that before he before he ended up selling it. So there was less inflation. He might he they, was very fixated on this Dochev family, right? He really hated the Dochev family. So there's there's another there's another one of the things that stands out across these people who do these crazy things is they'll have a fixation. Yeah, well, they'll have at least one or two fixations. I guess uh, th- this would sound like a hallmark card platitude, but. The biggest lesson to draw from from things like Killdozer or Chris Dorner or Elliot Roger is that that ruminating on your resentment for years is just never going to lead you to a good place. It's mm. it's going to make you make some terrible decisions. Ruminating on your resentment in isolation for years. Yeah, you yeah. Can. Without without any external <laughs> any way to externally validate. Your ideas. You're going to have a bad time, okay? Yeah, because like, if there were just one person in his life that he could say, hey, I've been planning something. Can you let me know what you think of it? <laughs> and he could tell them about how he was you know, weeping in his hot tub. Divine peace came over him when he realized that he had to bulldoze the Dochev concrete plant as well as a number of buildings in, in Grand Colorado. I think at least Colorado. one person would have been like... Mm. Maybe take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, Listen, Marvin. Take a deep breath. Take a month off. Go snowmobiling, and give me the keys then, to the killdozer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give me the fucking keys, Marvin. <laughs> yeah. How did he get it out? Or do you think he just like busted out? He's like, I don't care about. Squeezing. I really, really hope <laughs> that he squeezed. I really it out. hope like he closed the door behind him to the the rental unit when he was getting into the killdozer and his first act in the killdozer was blasting through the front gate <laughs> of his own property. And I just can't get over the image of his slow advance on Granby from Grand Lake. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the, the town council sitting around like... The town council being oh, like, he's going to be here in a few hours <laughs> and we can't stop him. Have we got time for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> have some teen scones on the way as you as you're like ringing up national security like should we get a chopper should we get a chopper 
No. Well, yeah, they, they were considering getting an attack helicopter to shoot a missile at him, but we're worried that Mortars. the collateral damage would be, be excessive. Don't worry. Mickey down the streets got a, got a bobcat or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like We've got that. a cherry picker. They just show a degree of ingenuity that they looked got at a tractor. The, the modified Komatsu and thought, well, that's doing a lot of damage. So <laughs> what do we have? No one else had a Komatsu, though. That's the that's probably the biggest takeaway, that if you want a good bulldozer, Komatsu, Komatsu makes a mean bulldozer. Kind of a strange sales pitch for Komatsu, really. If you're gonna, they should they should be using Killdozer in all of their advertising. They should just change so their brand I'm, I'm, identity you know, to Killdozer. <laughs> yeah, full disclosure: I'm not in the market for a bulldozer, so I haven't done my market research on this. But I anticipate they're not using Killdozer to advertise, <laughs> but they should be. <laughs> I bet you that hangs over the head of every single Komatsu salesperson. No, it's just that it makes. I would be bringing it up though. <laughs> I'll be bringing it up. It's look at how many people tried to jam stuff in the treads, ram it with other vehicles. They dropped a flashbang down the exhaust pipe, and it didn't do anything. They shot at it, and it just kept going. Drove through buildings. Only, only the laws of physics were able to stop the Komatsu. You literally had to drive it yeah. off an edge into a. Into a <laughs> yeah, you need to drive it into a basement. <laughs> I don't have a great deal more to say about Killdozer. I'm surprised we got this much out of it. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's, it. that's, that's our gift. If we tell, if we tell a discursive, resentful property owner boils by himself for 10 years and then armors, armors <laughs> and a bulldozer and goes Builds crazy. the MK tank, the, the Marv Komatsu tank. The Marv Komatsu tank. Phew. Phew. What a way to go. He should have gone with Killdozer. Imagine if he actually came up with the name Killdozer. Oh, that would have been... If he came up with the name Killdozer and painted it on Killdozer. <laughs> yeah, if he spray painted on the side, shitty spray paint, so Killdozer. The amount of planning that went into this, though, is pretty astonishing. With an A because... at the end, not ER, Killdozer. <laughs> Apparently, he... There were no windows. He... he saw where he was going because he had a camera in the front that was covered in bulletproof plastic. <laughs> So police officers were trying to shoot out the cameras and they couldn't because he'd planned everything. Yeah, so he, all his last view of the world was just probably a very blurry, hazy, like, what? how how many megapixels back then? Like five megapixels or something like that? Maybe well, not even what, that. 2004, yeah. What like three been, megapixels um, or some shit. And in his little concrete welded-in hot steaming... What a horrible way to go out, hey? He was a very angry man. It was. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> yeah. You need to be feeling some sort of very intense emotion to go through with this, and I can only see anger in this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably good that he didn't have a family. Oh, I don't know, like, but yeah. If he had Maybe. someone around him, if he had a wife or something. Yeah, so I'm just saying say, that with hindsight. Listen, it's like with hindsight, it's good that he didn't have some traumatized yeah, family. Listen, but like, Marvin. Maybe having. I had know a you're passionate about the Dochev family. You're passionate about your your MK tank project, but honey, come back to bed. Why don't we just move? Why don't we move? You spent the last four. You, you haven't showered this. in four days. You've been in the workshop for four days with your with your MK tank. Could could we talk about it, please, honey? 
honey, come on. <laughs> I haven't seen you in weeks. All you've been doing is working, working on that bloody tank. <laughs> <laughs> you missed your daughter's movie. graduation. <laughs> <laughs> you were building the MK tank. Just let it go. Let it go. <laughs> How he tells this story about a guy he's friends with who I think he says like oh, he, he had a business in Minnesota and he got taken advantage of and he forgave the people and let it go and he's just never been the same since. He seemed to think that his friend had just lost his mojo because he wasn't revving himself up over getting back at the people who'd taken advantage of him. <laughs> yeah, Marvin Hemeyer knew the correct way to go. He knew that the correct thing to do was to never let anything go and just keep stewing on it, not look for any sort of external advice, and <laughs> just explode. It's a really interesting contrast, the, the complete emotional dysregulation contrasted with the, the, the practical sensibility in that he had the wherewithal to make the MK tank very, like to plan how to build it, to then construct it in secret and then use it. It's You can have those two things in parallel. Complete emotional dysregulation while still remaining practical. Anyway, I don't, I don't have more to add. That's a weird combo, actually, because he still, he still had his skills. He had his technical skills. <laughs> it just didn't have yeah. any, it just didn't have any just other good didn't sense. have any sort of emotional regulation. Because he built it really well. Yeah, it was completely bulletproof. It got shot a lot and was, was fine. It, the only thing he left off was like some sort of arm so that he could, if he fell down a, a, into a basement, mm. if a basement collapsed. A big giant spring on the bottom of the bulldozer. Yes. <laughs> he didn't include a jump button. <laughs> Boing. It just comes back up. Boing. How much more terrifying would it have been, though, if it could jump? <laughs> the jumping killed <laughs> Like Katish. Yeah. Um Anyway, no, I, I don't recommend people listen to it. Oh, no. If no, people, God, no, don't if people really want to listen to it, listen to the last third, maybe, where he gets really, really enraged and is just shouting into the microphone, calling Cody Dochev, Cody Douche, Douche Chev. And, uh, and then read, I would recommend reading the comment section, though. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> just the, I, I'm not sure that any of the people writing comments actually listen to what I Nehemiah so. said. <laughs> I, don't think, I, don't, I, think, I don't think they I listen think to they it, maybe a like word of what he said. Heard about, heard about it and what his complaints mm. were and or watched Tread and then went there. The, maybe they listened to the first like 20 minutes or something. <laughs> but the first 20 minutes, are him, it's him talking about snowmobiling. <laughs> the first 20 minutes is not about him being an American patriot. <laughs> what have we got next? We've got A Pickle for the Knowing Ones by Timothy Dexter next. A wild ride. It feels like you're having a stroke while you read it. <laughs> no punctuation. Bizarre spelling. Bizarre capitalizations. Mostly him talking about how good he is and complaining about his wife. <laughs> the guy sounds like just really kooky like insane but not not <laughs> not, not in a dangerous way not dangerous kooky actually just quite kind of a kind of kind adorable of appealing. comedic yeah yeah like a real life um 
Is there even anybody comparable? He just sounds like a dunce. No, no, it's not, no. It's not, he's it's sui generous. completely unique amongst billions of people. Okay, well, yeah, um, we, you'll you'll hear more about that next week. Do we have any special announcements or any other things to say? Interesting, fun. Shout out to Trent and Hylik, the OGs of the Discord server. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing else. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for listening. <laughs>